0: All right, Dr. Mitchell Yass is. Did I say that right? You got it. Very excited to have you. We're going to be talking about pain management long term. Um, very very happy that you found time to come on. Um, let's let's just jump right into it. Just a few seconds ago, you were telling me exactly where this uh, this uh, specific quote came from. Right, the cause of symptoms can easily be identified by interpreting the body's presentation of those symptoms, and then you proceeded to tell me where that originated from.
1: It originated from the father of medicine, Hippocrates himself. Um, There have recently been people who have gone back and tried to review the writings of Hippocrates. And it's come to fruition that the man created two key words in terms of diagnosing and treating people, which is diagnosis and symptoms. And his premise was clear. All the people at the time that were working under his theory They recognized that to understand what tissue was in distress, even back then, they needed to get a full history from the person and evaluate the symptoms that were being presented so that they could interpret those symptoms to identify the tissue creating the symptoms. That's why you have the symptoms. A tissue's in distress. It wants you to know it's in distress. The body through evolution has created specific symptoms for every tissue so that when those symptoms are created, a hurtful person can interpret that and know which tissue is creating the symptoms so the distress of that tissue can be resolved upon resolving the distress. The tissue no longer has to incite the distress signal from the pain senses. That's the way the body works.
0: Incredible. How, like, uh, what role does inflammation play in this? Is that. Ah.
1: Oh, boy. Now we got something real big. So, <laughs> if you look at the business of inflammation, it's a multiple billion dollar business. And there's two sides to it there's the Western medicine concept, and then there's the Eastern medicine concept. So, the Western medicine concept is that pain. And inflammation are synonymous. Those two words are interjectable, right? If you have pain, you have inflammation, and inflammation causes pain. So, everybody has accepted the concepts of non steroidal anti inflammatories. When you get into a higher level, you might get steroidal anti anti inflammatories like cortisone shots, um, epidural nerve blocks. All this stuff is being designed to address inflammation on the west on the eastern side you have turmeric which is the great anti-inflammatory natural mechanism uh you got that doctor from the doctor schlocking it real big on tv he's really pushing that big so (laughs) can we let's all agree if you're willing to accept my premise that the body presents symptoms to identify what tissue is in distress Just like specific tissues, there are specific symptoms that will have you recognize that inflammation is present. The four symptoms that must be present to identify inflammation as existing is pain, swelling, heat, and redness. Let's look at some examples. You sprain your ankle. What do you get? Pain, swelling, heat, and redness. I take a baseball bat and I hit your shin. What do you see? pain, swelling, heat and redness. You get a pimple. What's well, the pimple? Pain, swelling, heat and redness. You get a blister and you have an allergic reaction. What do you get? Pain, swelling, heat and redness. So, we should all be willing to accept the theory that for someone to say that I have inflammation associated with my pain, I must not just have pain, I must have pain, swelling, heat and redness. So let's talk about this concept. Is pain synonymous with inflammation? Well, let me ask you something. Is a kidney stone painful? I imagine that's pretty painful, right? People have said it's right. some of the worst pain ever. Is there swelling, heat, or redness? No. Maybe not. No, it's not because inflammation is not the problem. It's actually a cholesterol molecule having a mechanical inhibition getting through the tube of the kidney. So that pain is not inflammation, after a heart attack, that's pretty painful. That's cell death. That is not inflammation. How about a paper cut? No swelling heat redness, so no inflammation. That's pretty painful. let to pinch you. That's painful. No swelling heater redness. Ladies and gentlemen, you can have pain and it'll be inflammation. If you want to be smart about your body, you want to protect yourself, don't give a shit what anyone tells you. First, for yourself and say, Are the four symptoms of inflammation present? Yes or no? If no, don't take anti inflammatories for your pain. If the symptoms aren't there,
0: and it's inflammation. By all means, take anti inflammatories. That makes sense. I mean, there's the studies are showing that, um, you know, based on how we live. And there was a, there was a part uh, where you had talked about this um, in some of uh, the data you had provided that based on how society has gone, you know, lack of movement, uh, technological advances. um, And, and some of the research is suggesting like we all have inflammation now and it's uh, in varying degrees, it's present.
1: But, but, but that's not too confusing because what's in your intestines that are breaking down your foods? That's bacteria. Right. And the breaking down of bacteria occurs through what? The inflammatory response. So where's the confusion that inflammation exists? What do I give a shit if it exists? You've got blood pain. You want to make your blood pain disappear. Why right. do you go when you get a blood test to check your SID level, your inflammation level. Who gives a crap? What if it's the inflammation's in your ear and you have lower back pain? What, what do you give a shit about your inflammation level? You want to know what's causing your back pain. And if there isn't swelling, heat, or redness there, it's an inflammation. So forget the concept of worrying about your SID rate or your inflammation rate. Who cares? If you don't have swelling, heat, and redness where the pain is, it's an inflammation causing the pain, so you focus on trying to figure out what tissues is in distress creating that pain.
0: Right. So that way you can begin to actually address it in a positive way.
1: Right. That's what? Are we addressing pain? Are we addressing a symptom? You don't address symptoms. What is pain? Pain is a signal. Is a signal. It is not an entity. It is not your kidney. It is not your liver. It is not your spleen. So as a result, stop going to people who are treating you for your pain. If someone's giving you a cortisone shot, an epithelial nerve block, radiofrequency ablation, I don't care what they're giving you, it. they're saying, I'm going to make your pain go away by doing this. They're doing a disservice to you because they never identified what tissue was in distress that's emitting the pain As a way of making you recognizing there's this stress of that tissue,
0: you got to treat it. Tissue, no pain, right? And that's where you can begin to address it: is understanding why that that signal is present, right? The that's uh,
1: what diagnostics is supposed to be about. It is an attempt to evaluate the body and determine what tissue is in distress. So that you could provide the proper intervention to that tissue to resolve its distress and allow it to resolve, thereby ending its need to elicit the emergency distress signal of pain.
0: Fascinating. I mean, there's so many people that are dealing with pain every single day, and we live in a society where it's so much easier to address it by taking something. This is why we have the problems we have, right? The opioid crisis that has been silent for the most part for about 20 years. It's starting to surface as a problem being recognized by communities and government. Um, but, you know, through the 20 years, nobody was complaining. Everybody was making plenty of money. I mean, Purdue paid fra- like in, in the fines that they paid through that lawsuit were fractions of their like actual profits for the duration of, the time that they actually sold their products. I mean, the the damage that's been caused is unbelievable. When did you begin to um, formulate these, uh, these ideas? When did you start developing the YAS method?
1: So I graduated physical therapy school in 1993. Literally as a student going into the career, uh, basically what happened was that um, – you you kind of are doing your educational element in classroom. And eventually you end up at the end, you're gonna do your affiliations, which is to say that you're gonna act as a student under a supervising physical therapist. So what happened was you're gonna be out there now. Now it's not just some classroom nonsense, it's not someone standing in front of you, and suddenly it's quite sobering and real. And so The person, a classic example, I'm going to give you a real classic example of what happened to me, literally as a student finally entering school, uh, uh, coming out and becoming a therapist. So a person would describe the fact that they have pain around their kneecap. And so, first of all, what happened was they presented with a diagnosis from an orthopedist saying that they have a torn meniscus. From the MRI finding, that indicated the torn meniscus. So they're approaching me and saying... I have, I'd say, the first thing I thought, which was the logical thing to do is say, where's your pain? Can you point to it? And they would point to their pain around their kneecap. And then they'd say, I've been diagnosed with a meniscal tear. You know, can we do something? or do I need surgery, right? So here's what would happen. So I'm very fortunate. I graduated college, uh, medical school, at 32 years old. I was not 18. I was 32. I was a man. A lot of life experience. When I was a child, my father taught me analytical thinking. I am a logician. I only know analysis. Everything that comes into my brain, that this idea of misinformation doesn't mean anything to me. It's quite simple. There's no gray, there's black and white. Either something is fact or it's not fact. That's the way my brain works. So when I went through medical school, I was basically analyzing stuff. And if it didn't make sense, if it was baseless, I said, I can't in good conscience follow that. So I'm not gonna follow that. So They're analyzing things. So this was an example. Person's pointing to their pain around their kneecap. Now what people have to understand, fairly simple to understand, is that the knee joint is really not comprised of one joint. It's comprised of two joints. The joint between the thigh bone and the lower leg bone. And then the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone. So there's two independent joints. Now, the meniscal tear that was identified is in the joint between the thigh bone and the lower leg bone. They're complaining of pain at a separate joint the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone. So wouldn't logic say to you, how could the structure at one joint cause pain at another joint? If you're willing to accept that that's possible, the next time you have elbow pain, and I take an X-ray of your ankle and find arthritis and tell you that the arthritis at the ankle is causing the elbow pain, you'll say, great, let's do ankle surgery. Right? You can see that's insanity. That is. And that's what happened to me. So that of kept happening. Things like this. So or Well, it's not possible for the meniscal tear to be causing it. So I'm guessing that that meniscal tear is an independent variable, but it's clearly not causing that person's pain. And then control of the kneecap is based on muscles that attach. So I'm going to try to address the muscles. And within a treatment or two, I made them be pain-free. Did wow. I tear the meniscus? No, clearly it's still there. I addressed the tissue in distress eliciting that person's symptoms. That's what happened. Another example, let's say someone had pain three inches to the right of their spine and they walked in, and it was an older person, and they walked in and their diagnosis is compression fracture of a lumbar vertebrae. And I'd say, okay, now wait a second. Let's think logically. Where would a fracture of a vertebrae cause pain? I would imagine it would be at the fracture site of that vertebrae. But the person's pain is two to three inches off the spine. That doesn't sound right to me. I don't think I should be addressing a compression fracture. What's two to three inches off the spine? Oh, that's right. That's your lower back muscle called the quadratus lumborum. So I would try to establish what might be causing that muscle to strain I do a little heat massage. I do some key progressive resistance exercises that I had developed through my own strength training, understanding, background, and two to three treatments, person's pain-free and fully functional.
0: Wow. And that kept happening.
1: Great patient.
0: When, when you began to really apply the methods to, I mean, based on the analytics of how your, your mind works, and I, I feel that uh, we're similar in that sense. Um, My mind works very similar. I I like to process data. I like to look at um, what makes sense and what doesn't and actually uh, uh, try to narrow down and determine. Um, But it's fascinating that right after you had left, let's say, um, uh, formal schooling, that you decided if things don't make sense, we should look elsewhere you know, a lot of people leaving medical school would never I, I, I don't feel they would ever have the balls to go against the teachings, to think critically and to think outside the box and to question. The, I mean, it's crazy to me um, whenever we do go see doctors, they really don't like their authority being questioned. That's right. And it's, just, and it's like, wait a minute, man. I mean, you're here to treat and to and to uh, help, right? There's a fiduciary duty. So, what if I'm asking questions?
1: It's crazy. It's, it's actually quite. I've had people, so, so they would diagnose with some structural thing. I treated them. They would. They became pain free. And they had a follow-up with the doctor that was scheduled. So they go back and they say to the doctor, I'm pain-free. I feel incredible. And the guy says, what happened? And said, I went to this guy. He showed me it was muscular and he did some exercise and I'm pain-free. You know what the response is every single time? That doesn't matter. Trust me. It's just a question of time before the pain's coming back. You'll need that surgery. Really? Does that, does that sound kind of cult-like? Uh, that, sounds that sounds a- kind of cult-like, like they drank the Kool-Aid and so, I'm just going to follow whatever I've been educated and trained to do. Doesn't that sound like that?
0: It, it sounds crazy to me. And I think that's where, um, through the years, there's uh, like a distrust that's been building within the medical community, uh, or at least towards the medical community. Um, I mean, the for profit industry, I, I totally get it. Every business model is for that. But you should legitimately try to solve real problems, uh, especially in healthcare, not treat, but Actual, you know, uh, working towards um, long-term—I uh, want to say long-term applications. Um, you know, when I read a lot of your information, I was—I was stunned. I was excited, and I said, "Finally, there's someone who's speaking up and—and and who's a professional in the field and saying, like, you know, what, what you think you know or what you're what you've been told, you know, think again. There's there's more to it." I wanted to ask you about since a lot of it is muscular, right? Um, to me, because like years ago, I started to uh, kind of using yoga flows for my lower back, from uh, for my thighs, for uh, you know various parts lower lower part of my body, um, and it it's helping. It's helping a lot. Uh, what can you say about yoga, like? I mean, the teachings of yoga have been around for so long. Like, what did these people know going back centuries um, about uh, doing these things that uh, are actually helpful? Can you speak about that? Sure. So
1: first, let me just make a point about what you were saying about the financial responsibility. Does everybody understand that the medical system is the only industry that is fee for service, which is to say that outcome is not a factor in payment? So if you go to a five star restaurant and you come out with a charred steak, you don't pay and no one expects you to pay. If you go to a mechanic and you go to start your car and it doesn't go on, the mechanic doesn't think you're expected to pay. If you have lower back pain and you got a five level fusion and you're in worse pain after that guy got paid. You he realize still gets paid. That. Does everybody realize that? So as long as globally it's a fee for service basis, where's the incentive that outcome be a factor in payment.
0: Right. It's absolutely true. I mean, I've also seen the disclaimers, right? You're, you're, you're required to sign the disclaimer that says sure. like, yeah, we're not responsible for if there's anything that goes wrong and, you know, so on and so forth. If, yeah. uh, you
1: know. I, just, I just want people to understand, don't, don't be confused why there's 130 million Americans and 1 billion people worldwide suffering from chronic pain. It's, it's not an accident. It's not like we have this perfectly analyzed system that we follow on a perfect basis and you all fucking healing. You're just really bad healers. It ain't your fault. It's the system's fault. It's systemic. The there is something wrong in the way that diagnosis is derived, which is leading to treatments that don't work. And as long as I continue to get paid for treatments that don't work, why should I ever care about getting the right diagnosis or providing a treatment that has an outcome that's beneficial? I do better when it's not beneficial. And right. We're not an individual person. You know, we're not saying someone's bad or evil. I'm saying it's innate in the system. Who could deny that? Number one is the fee for service, right? And number two, the statistics overwhelmingly show a massive failure and how this system is being provided, and yet not a single thing has been done to change
0: it. Right. And, and um, you know, when I think about it, it's it's really tough for any single physician in the medical field to stand up against it because, like, you just have a wall of resistance, right? A, uh, a decades-old, uh, uh, like, ruling and um, and kind of power structure that no one can really stand against because you'll get crushed. Sure. Um, which is
1: why I stand outside the medical system. <laughs> I see myself the US method as a system that's outside. I consistently tell people if you have pain, going through the medical system is not going to identify the cause. Remember, I'm telling people in more than 98 percent of cases, the cause is muscular. Wow. Well, muscular causes don't show up on MRIs. And there's no medical specialty educated or trained to identify them. So if if I'm right, let's say I'm kind of right. 70 to 80% of cases, it's muscular. 70% of those cases are never going to show up on diagnostic tests and they're not educated or trained to identify them. So as a result of that, you're not going to get the proper treatment for that muscular cause, which is going to lead to the muscles continuing to strain because their force output, how much force they're creating... Compare it to the force requirement of your activities, right? You live in a gravitational environment. So everything you do, you're pushing up. I don't care if you're reaching, grabbing, bending, twisting. You're always pushing against gravity. So there's a force requirement to that. If the muscles responsible aren't strong enough, don't have a great enough force output, they will strain and elicit pain. And that doesn't have to be pain. It can be numbness, tangling, burning. Don't think that that automatically means it's nerve because it's not. Muscles refer those symptoms as well.
0: Really? Let's be clear about that. That's incredible. I mean, you know, 98, you said 98% is relating to muscular. Um, And that seems, um, uh, it it was crazy when I read that piece of fact. Um, I thought to myself, that's insane because anybody going through the system to address whatever pains, like no one will ever discover the true cause of it. I mean, sure, the system loves repeat customers. You know, and what better customer than someone who's in chronic pain all the time? Um, And obviously, you know, we have a sick care system, not a health care system. That's right. Um, We have so many resources. It's easier to just repeatedly treat rather than, uh, uh, let's say, if we were limited on resources, we would want to make sure like, no, people need to stay healthy because we don't have enough to go around for everybody. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's such a wild and crazy business to think that um, it's been like this for so long. People are waking up. This is where we see the pushback, the 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 distrust in uh, in that community, Um, and ultimately, it leads me to the you know to my next question: is like there was some uh, some mention in the info you had provided four primary ways muscle causes pain. And I had read through those. You mind just going through them one at a time, please?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, I just want to make a point about your question about yoga. Um, And then I'll go to the four things. I I really try to make myself um, speak to everything because I think these are questions that the planet out there is asking the same questions and they need a justifiable, legitimate understanding of what these things are from a scientific perspective. I I don't need it to be about I don't like when people say things like, well, since it's been around for thousands of years, that means it's viable. For hundreds of thousands of years, people threw rocks at the moon because they thought it was an evil spirit. (laughs) That didn't work out so well. It turned out it was just a rock going around the earth. So this idea, just because something's around for hundreds of thousands, I I don't buy that. I am a scientist. I am a logician. So let's talk about yoga from its perspective. So. There's a spiritual and emotional and and, and mental aspect. Have no problem with any of that stuff. I'm all good with it. We're talking about pain, talking about pain. Pain is an indication of a tissue in distress. If in fact you have a muscle eliciting pain, what is the reason for that? The reason for that is because there is a force requirement. Gravity is pushing down on you. And there's a force output of all the muscles trying to do it. Multiple muscles working synergistically to do that activity. If all the muscles don't have enough of a force output, something's going to strain, something's going to compensate, you're going to elicit pain from muscle, okay? So the essence of doing yoga is it's an activity. By definition, the method states anything, anything you do where groups of muscles are working to perform it describes it as an activity, okay? So yoga um walking jogging swimming um pilates all these things that people perceive as being helpful to resolve their pain are still have to be defined as activities now if in fact there is a weak muscle that's eliciting your pain and you do an activity how does that activity isolate out that individual weak muscle to allow you to apply greater and greater resistances to it so it can get strong enough and so it can then have the appropriate force output to perform the activity without straining. How would that happen?
0: I don't know. It doesn't happen. It does. Okay, it doesn't happen.
1: That's right. So let's say that your glute med on your left side, you're going to try to do a tree pose and you're going to do it on your left leg, but your glute med is weak. And so what you see is you kind of keep falling to your right side. Take your right foot off the floor. You keep falling to the right side. Take your foot off. Fall to the right side. You really want to do it, but oh, the problem is, is that that's an activity, and it requires groups of muscles to perform it. So you're not just necessarily activating your glute major, butt muscle, your hamstring, your quad, your lower back. Lots of muscles are doing it, are contracting to allow that. So what you're probably going to do is you're probably going to side bend to your left so that all your mass is not to the right, which is pulling you to the right, and you're going to do the tree pose. And you're going to practice it, and you're going to get very good. But you only get very good with it when you're side-bend to the left. How did that help you strengthen the muscle that was weak and uh, that wasn't allowing you to do it properly, which is the glute med? It didn't. It didn't. And worst off, that excess side-bending may cause your left lower back muscle to strain because it wasn't designed to side-bend like that. So you may end up because the weak glute mead couldn't allow you to do the tree pose properly. You may end up straining your left lower back muscle with the intent of trying to help yourself. You were trying to do the right thing. You heard yoga is good for you. Right. But you see how if an individual muscle isn't functioning properly because it's force output isn't what it needs to be by doing a activity to try to resolve your problem, You can't pull out that muscle. You can't isolate that muscle. And in fact, doing the activity will lead to compensation of the muscles doing things that they weren't designed to do to compensate for the weakened muscle, which may end up leading to greater levels
0: of pain. Right. It makes it worse.
1: That's right. So if you have pain that's associated with muscle, let's be very clear. I am, not telling people not to, I am not telling people not to do yoga, not to do Pilates, not to do water. I'm not telling you not to do anything. I'm telling you that if you have pain from muscle, you need to figure out which muscles are weak, do not have the force output equivalent to the force requirement of activity. You need to do individual strength training exercises, which is to say every muscle moves one joint in one direction. So that's the action that you're going to use. You're going to cause that muscle to adapt to greater and greater resistances, thereby causing it to grow and get stronger until its force output is greater than the force requirement of your activity. And then you could do any activity you want and do it wholeheartedly, fully, embracing it, loving it without the chance of injuring yourself.
0: So that's that would be the first step, right? Identify which muscle then have the right regimen to strengthen that specific muscle only when we're doing yoga you know yes depending on what we're trying to do even if it's targeted right if we're just trying to do glutes or just thighs or what, i mean you're still um potentially tugging or pulling on other areas other muscles that uh, are compensating as you said and could lead it to get worse um and it's great. I appreciate that you're you're telling people. Like I'm not, you know, not saying don't do these things. Just understand that it can make them worse if you um, haven't identified exactly what the specific muscle that's causing the problem is. And I think that's I, I really want people
1: to understand. <laughs> yeah, you gotta recognize that what you're trying to accomplish for yourself when you have pain is you gotta establish what the tissue is that's in distress, creating that pain. If it's muscle, you have to know which muscles. So then there's the other theory that you'll go to physical therapy and they'll give you a sheet of 15 exercises and then you don't get any better. And you're wondering, why did I just do 15 exercises? The answer there is that you didn't have 15 muscles you needed to grip, you only probably needed three or four. In 30 years of doing this, the average person that has pain usually only has no more than three to four muscles responsible for that pain. So you were just doing lots of muscles. And by the way, where was the use of progressive resistance? It's not part, I know, I have a doctorate in physical therapy. It's not part of the curriculum. Weightlifting is not a part of it. So there's no use of progressive resistance. Thereby, you're not causing muscles to adapt to greater resistances, thereby making them stronger. It's the other downside of this. All right. I'm going to show you a concept. So you have pain on your left side. And it turns out that it was because you have weak muscles on your left leg and they can't support you. So you go to physical therapy or some other grouping and they say, "Okay, here's exercise to do. I want you to do it on both legs because I'm a person who says more is better. I was trained to do this. They gave me the sheet and they gave me the bands or whatever. And I'm going to do what I was told. So you're going to do both legs. Now, let me explain how the body works. Your left leg is weak. Why do you, and it causes pain to weight bear it. What do you think your brain's going to do? You think your brain's going to say, I totally think you should equally weight bear on both legs because I'm a sadist, I'm a masochist, I like pain, so I want you to hurt yourself by weight bearing on your left leg. No, what's going to do is it's going to say, I don't want you to weight bear on your left leg. So subconsciously, without you having any idea, you are going to fully weight bear on your right leg. You don't even know it. I just had a guy that was standing yesterday when he was standing. His nose was over his right foot. He had weakened his left leg so badly without him or his daughter daughter, having any idea. I took a picture and I showed them his nose is over his right foot. He will not weight bear on his left leg. He had no idea his brain had done that to him subconsciously. Okay. So he's got this weak right leg. And I'm sorry, let's say it's the weak left leg. So he's fully weight bearing on the right leg. Now you go to the person who says you need to strengthen both legs. If you're strengthening both legs, you're going to sustain the imbalance to where the right leg is always stronger than the left leg. And you're consistently going to incite your brain to say, only stay on your right leg because that left leg's weak and it's going to elicit pain. And you'll always weight bear on the right leg. You won't know it. It's happening. What do you think always weight bearing on the right leg is going to do to the strength of the left leg? It's going to weaken you further. So you're going to consistently find yourself having harder and harder times weight bearing with your pain increasing on your left side. And you're going to say to yourself, I don't understand. I'm doing all this work. I'm doing exactly what I'm told. And my pain is worsening and you're going to go to the therapist or you're going to go to a and You're going to say, I don't understand. I'm doing exactly what you told me to do when I have pain. And they're going to look at you and they'll say, I don't know what's wrong. I told you exactly what I was told to tell you and you're still having pain. So I don't know. So maybe we should just stop this. Or maybe we should just continue it and see maybe it'll magically get better.
0: Or maybe we should do surgery or put you on opioids long-term.
1: Once the conservative thing doesn't work, that might be exactly what you're told. You might be told, oh, you know how you were told that you have arthritis? Well, since this didn't work, I guess it is the arthritis. You really do need to get a hip replacement.
0: You know, and, and I imagine, you know, the right leg will suffer too because you're putting all the weight on that. And eventually, you know, you, you find that you're going to have pain in both legs. We are going to take a quick break, less than 30 seconds, and then we're going to come right back, Okay sounds great. Hey, everyone. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. If you've learned something about pain management, smash the like, sub if you want to stick around. This episode was sponsored by grassdoor.com. Canvas delivery made simple at your door in 45 minutes or less. Plus, you can save 40% on your first purchase. Use the code daily at checkout. All right. So we're back. Um, let's dive into those, uh, those four primary uh, causes for muscle pain so i want to so what you just
1: said is really kind of a cool thing to point out so i'm telling the planet that 98 percent of cases the cause of pain is muscle and the person hearing that is saying put my pains in my knee that doesn't make sense to me or i have referred symptoms that can't possibly be and so there are some people who are willing to say oh my pain is muscular but it has to be like right in the muscle and if it's anything outside of that like say in their shoulder because the medical establishment is unwilling to acknowledge that the pain is muscular then they say it's be muscle and they want to discount what i'm saying i'm now going to show you how the four mechanisms of muscle affect every aspect of what i'm talking about whether it's in a whether it's a muscle whether it's in a joint whether it's a preferred symptom whether it's even a neurological symptom but a muscular cause so we're going to go through these so Here's the first one, the most obvious one. Let's say you're having pain right here. This is the upper trap region. This is a muscle called the levator scapula. And it's really common that people end up having pain there. Well, that muscle, because it's in the upper trap region, people have been convinced that that area relates to the cervical spine. But the name of that muscle is called the levator scapula, Latin for raise the shoulder blade. So it actually attaches to the shoulder blade. And its purpose is relating to shoulder function. So if you have pain here, stop being coerced into thinking it's related to your cervical spine, you should get an MRI. This muscle is associated with keeping the shoulder blade against the rib cage, so that the muscles at the shoulder, which move the arm bone in the end of the shoulder blade can create shoulder motion. So pain here is related to shoulder function. So let's say the rotator cuff strain or another muscle that stabilizes the shoulder blade strain. It will cause this muscle to overwork, eventually causing it to elicit pain. So you have pain here being caused by weakness of muscles around the shoulder girdle. So that's a muscle creating pain, which is the result of compensation from other muscles. That's, the mo- that's a very common muscular cause. Okay. So let's talk about pain as I discussed originally at the knee joint. So you're having pain right around your kneecap. And you're saying, well, oh, that must be structural. I just got the MRI and the x-ray showed herniated disc, or, I mean, uh, a meniscal tear or arthritis, a bone, a bone this crazy nonsense they're told. So what you want to understand is that the kneecap runs through a joint at the end of the thigh bone. And it runs through there based on a muscle that sits above it and attaches to it called the quadricep muscle, the front thigh muscle. Okay, So the amount of force that's being pulled up on the kneecap is based on how strong the quadricep muscle is in relationship to the posterior thigh muscle, the hamstring. So one straightens the knee, the other bends the knee. So they have opposing forces. Well, let's say that the hamstring isn't so strong. Let's say you've been doing a lot of standing, jogging, something that's caused you to accentuate the use of your quadricep muscle. It will develop a much stronger force output. And as a result of that, it's going to shorten because nothing's stopping it from shortening. The hamstring isn't strong enough to stop it from shortening. Well, because it's shortening, it's pulling up excessively on your kneecap. So when you bend your knee, that kneecap is just supposed to glide. It's compressed in that kneecap, in that joint. So every time you bend your knee, you get this massive pain around your kneecap. But there's nothing structurally wrong with the components of the knee. They're functioning properly. It's that your quad is too tight and it's creating too much force on your kneecap. So to resolve this, you just stretch your quad, strengthen your hamstring, reduce the upward force that's being applied to the kneecap. And once you do that, if you bend your knee, that kneecap is going to glide perfectly and you're going to have no pain. So muscles can create pain at a joint through their connection to the joint surfaces. Next. How many people have slept on their side and woken up with tingling in their hand? Then they stand up, and within a few seconds, that symptom goes away. If you go to anyone in the medical establishment because you describe tingling, regardless of where it was, it doesn't matter, bam, you're going to get an MRI of your cervical spine. You're going to be told something is wrong there and that the cause is some herniated disc, nerve root impingement, or stenosis. What you don't understand is that muscle, the muscle itself can refer symptoms. How does Mitchell Yass know that? Is he telepathic? How would he know that? Oh, that's right. One of the indications of a heart attack is pain in chest and the left arm. Is there something wrong with your left arm? No. No, that symptom is being referred from the heart. The heart is creating that symptom as a way of creating recognition of distress. The heart is what? It's a muscle. muscle. yes,
0: yeah. that's
1: right. So I know that muscles can refer it. And it turns out that the rotator cuff, which attaches from the shoulder blade to the arm, if strained will allow the arm bone to draw forward when you're laying on that side, which overstretches the rotator cuff and will elicit pain in this case, it's a referred symptom to the hand, numbness and tingling, right? If it was from the neck, why is it that when you stand up, it goes away? If it's a herniated disc or a stenosis, which just means narrowing of the space between the vertebrae, if you stood up, it's still herniated, it's still narrowed. Why did it go away? Because it's not from there. It's actually from your shoulder, okay? So muscles can refer symptoms, independent of nerves, get it through everyone's head. Just because you're having a referred symptom does not mean it automatically is a nerve creating that symptom. The reason that that mindset has developed is because for 40 years, if you describe that, you were sent for an MRI, which is a looking at your spine, the structures of the spinal column and the nerve roots that come out. So, of course, you have now connected the two because you were incited to connect the two. I'm telling you that logic and understanding will show you that that's simply not true. Muscles can refer symptoms. That is the most classic example of it. So that's number three. Number four, and this is the big one, muscles can strain and impinge on nerve. This is sciatica. Sciatica, which is pain from the butt, down the back of the leg, beyond the knee, typically to the foot, is actually caused by a muscle in the butt called the piriformis muscle, straining, thickening, and impinging on the nerve. Sciatica cannot come from some structural variation at the lumbar spine. This is a big one for people to understand. Nerves do not attach to the spine. The spinal cord comes down. And at every level, nerve roots come out. Nerve roots away from the spine join together and form nerves. So there's no such thing as a nerve that attaches to the spine. The sciatic nerve begins in the butt and ends at the back of the knee. So if you were to have sciatica, you are to have to inflict some sort of irritation to the nerve within its path. That muscle happens to run right where it begins in the gluteal region. So you could have a muscular cause creating a neurological symptom. That is the four primary mechanisms by which muscle can create symptoms. And I am telling you over almost three decades of treating people and thousands of people that accounts for 98% of people like 98% of causes of pain. Or altered
0: symptom. I mean, and then the the other two percent uh, are beyond that. I imagine, right? Structural. Actual, actual structural. Structural. And the
1: presentation told me that, and I referred the person to get surgery. I'm I'm not anti-surgery. I'm yeah. anti-surgery that you didn't need.
0: I mean, to hear, you know, I again, I'm I'm in the uh, I'm in the uh, like health and wellness world. I've been in this for about ten years, and so like I hear the stories. I got surgery. I'm worse. I just had my second surgery. I feel worse, you know, do you have any, do you have any supplements I can take for pain, you know, um, inflammation or whatever. So it's, uh, I've heard these stories again and again, um, as of recently, the last few years, um, insurance companies, primary caregivers, they're being forced, um, either because of risk, the high risk factors, they're dialing back medications for people who really need them. I mean, I got it. I got a client of mine who has an autoimmune disorder that uh, leaves her in pain, entire body for, um, you know, pretty much every single day. Quality of life is really, really shitty. Um, And uh, they're reducing what they can give her when they know. And it's kind of scary because like, wait a minute, your primary knows your history. They should be looking at your chart and seeing like, oh, yeah, like you're, you're not. You're not addicted to the opioids. I mean, maybe there's some form of that, but um, at the end of the day, there should be some e- evaluation of that to, to well, judge. Let me,
1: just try to, let me just try to bring up, uh, so maybe this will help you and others understand why we're where we are. Why are we in the situation you're in? So let's just talk about. Why is there a chronic pain epidemic? So most people don't understand this, but chronic pain never existed in the history of mankind ever, ever, ever chronic pain has never existed ever, 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 never. Really? There's never been a chronic pain um, epidemic prior to the late 1980s. That's when this started. Wow. Go back to the Roman times, go back to the Greek period, go back to the fifties, go back to any time in the history of man. And you will never see chronic pain identified.
0: you know, but even uh, even like let's say the fifties, um, a lot of things were different too, right? I mean, people ate whatever they wanted, didn't really exercise, they smoked. I mean, some of the, some of the diseases that we see today didn't exist either. That is correct. Why
1: that is Why? Reason. So <laughs> what well, we're talking about are those diseases you're referring to: a cardiovascular disease, top, type two diabetes, and obesity. They are known as non-genetic. Diseases. And what they've determined, and this was on Discovery Channel, is that survival of the fittest has ended for humankind. So it used to be forever that the biggest and the strongest survived. And evolution continued to change man to make them more susceptible to survival. And then something interesting developed in the late the mid to late 1980s. That was called technology and automation computers, all this type of thing. And what happened was man went from doing activity that was manual to automated. And as a result, what's the number one job in the world? I.T. People started sitting for unlimited periods of time. And so as a result of that, if you looked at the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and prior to the 80s, if you said what group of people did seem to experience pain, it was the elderly. And they described it as rheumatism. Who was this population? Typically retired people. What happened when you retired? The old sat on the rocking chair and did nothing. So they weakened. And as a result of that, they were more susceptible to pain. Well, now, come the late 1980s, early 1990s, what's kind of strange is that it isn't the person in the 70s, 80s, and 90s anymore. Now it's people in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s are all suffering from pain, not chronic pain, yet just pain. So why? What's the answer? I just gave it to you. Technology, even the 20-year-old isn't even... I remember when I went to college, I had to carry a book bag with 30 books. Well, now most college courses can be seen by looking at your laptop. Right. I don't even have to go to the course if I don't want. I can go to the, lab, uh, la, uh, the library, have my laptop, and see all my courses there. I don't even have to walk. Right. I want to make it even worse... I don't even have to use my thumb to change the channel on my television. I could just talk into the remote now.
0: And that, and that brings us to, you know, the future of, um, um, you know, society, pain management, you know, thinking about like, well, what's ahead then? If, we, you know, if we have the data the da- and the data sets are there showing us that uh, we have become lazier because technology has um, made these things so much easier to do, but they have definitively um, stripped away a lot of things that were uh, quite useful, like activity. Um, you know, look at what's going to happen with the metaverse if you've heard about it. I mean, sure. they don't sure. they don't even, they don't even want us outside. Uh, you know, doing any type of activity at this point, they just want us glued to a goggle, sitting in a room. You know. Um, experiencing life that way, I mean, that is likely to lead to more illness, more pain, more it's, disease. There's
1: no question about it. So if we now take that concept of, so now we have this expansive group of people, all ages suffering from pain, what has become chronic? Well, part of the technolo- technological events was the advent of the MRI. And the MRI, for most people don't even know this, wasn't invented to identify the cause of pain. It was, identif- it was designed to identify tumors in the brain. Really? magically it got a secondary usage and started being used. I don't know how. There's never been any studies that used it. It just started being used. And And you only find structural variations. We're acknowledging that it appears that there's a muscular cause to now 20, 30s, 40s, 50s, all these people from suffering pain, which can't get muscular causes show up. So as long as you're treating structural causes, And now muscular causes, and people are still continuing to live to whatever level they're trying. That's why chronic pain began and continues to exist. Now, let me show you how scary and concerning you want to be about this. So this is going on, and studies are showing this, and things are progressing. And then at 2011, 2011 or 2013, I think it was 2013, the National Institute of Medicine, which falls under the National Institute of Health, does a position paper on chronic pain. And that's where they finally acknowledge there's this 130 million Americans. Just so you can understand, it's costing the United States $635 billion a year to treat chronic pain, cardiovascular disease, the biggest supposed killer, $400 billion. So this is way above that. This is the number one moneymaker for the medical system. Now, watch what happens. They recognize that this chronic pain has gotten rampant. And you can't say that what we're doing is wrong, because just so you understand, there have been millions of people who have committed suicide because they couldn't get a proper diagnosis and therefore didn't want to live any longer. So you could imagine what would happen if we said, you know, that MRI probably wasn't the right thing. We shouldn't have been doing it. So they went on this angle. They come out, this is the American government comes out with the point that the reason people are having chronic pain now is because pain is no longer a representation of a signal representing a tissue in distress. It is simply an arbitrary signal that's being shot off in the brain. Pain pain is no longer coming from pain receptors at all the tissues in your body. Your brain is making pain. And therefore, since it's simply an arbitrary independent signal, we can only treat it through medication, pain management, and hypnosis. That is the position of the United States government that came out in 2013. So as a result of that, what do you think the medical establishment's answer became? We don't really have any interest in trying to establish the cause of your pain anymore, We are more than happy to push through the concept of exactly how you started this discussion, pain management. Pain management is an oxymoron. Those two words don't go together. You don't manage pain. You might manage your cirrhosis of your liver. You might manage the sclerosis that's in your vein or artery. But you don't manage a signal. You identify the tissue in distress. Result the distress of that tissue, that tissue need to elicit that pain, that signal. That's how you address it. So that's why now chronic pain and chronic illness are perceived to be the equivalent concept. So when you have chronic pain, now the average person says, I just have to live with it. I don't... There's nothing I can do
0: or or they just take a painkiller and then, right, you know, right. uh, pain is gone temporarily. Follow,
1: follow The rules. Yeah. follow the rules of the in the meantime. So after 30 years, I can assure you that I have never met a single person who has told me that I'm talking synthetic heroin, which is what opioids are, has ever taken away their pain. Not one person and I have treated lots of people, thousands, they tell me I'm it minimizes the symptom enough that they could barely hang on and function during the day. That, and that is ma- where the average person is living their life,
0: and that makes sense why there's a there's a crisis around the abuse of opioids because it because it is managing the pain, reducing it just enough. That you're functional, but then you are so dependent on that um, on that little bit of relief, so that you can function. And so, day in and day out, you go through this repeated cycle of poisoning yourself, essentially. Yeah. Um, versus actually uh, determining like where is it coming from? Why is this happening? Can we can we do better? Um, it leads me to you know uh, the, like the last two questions or so, and then we'll wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the education that you're providing um, isn't necessarily everywhere. What can people do who are suffering? The 130 million Americans that are suffering every day, um, where should they start looking for help?
1: So, just so, so not to be confusing, the planet out are Googling, they're Googling everything. Those 130 million people have given up on the medical system. They've recognized the system has failed them, the multiple surgeries, the medication, nothing's worked. And they can barely get out of bed. So they're out Googling. And so just to understand a little about, bit about myself, you have to be a little mental to walk into medical school and say, I think what you're saying is wrong. You really have to be slightly insane to say, I think I'm going to figure it out. But I believe what happened to me is i become enlightened and I think I'm being used by a higher power. I think I've been asked to do this. So I do this without any attempt to get gratification from it. It, I'm a conduit. That's all I am. I believe I've been asked to understand this information and provide it. So I created a YouTube channel. There's probably close to 250 uh, videos on there. It's Dr. Mitchell Yachts. That's free content. I don't get a dime from that. And I constantly am putting more information out. I have a Facebook page. I've written three books. I've done a PBS special. The essence of what I'm doing is trying to be the great educator. If you feel compelled that you're incapable of identifying that in fact you have a muscular cause or which muscles they are and how to strengthen them, then by all means, I am here to serve you and provide you the the mechanisms and the treatments to resolve your pain. I I just opened a brand new facility in Jacksonville, Florida, or you could do, I I do zoom sessions and I've been doing them for years. Um, So, so my, my, my answer, and, and I have treated hundreds of suicidal people, people literally who have walked in, stood in front of me and said, I am putting a bullet in my head tomorrow. If, if you don't resolve this, you are my last resort and it's very sobering and it's kind of what made me kind of lose it personally, mentally. Um, and which led me to my enlightenment. Um, and so my answer to the person who's getting close to that is for God's sakes, don't give up, don't give up. don't think there isn't an answer. I truly believe, I mean, I really, in the deepest part of my heart, believe there is an answer to every question. And I believe I have been given the power to provide that answer. So keep Googling. I don't care if you do 30 different Google searches a day. I don't care if you're rewriting the way you Google it to just get the same kind of answer. Trust me, there is an answer out there. Uh, One of the reasons, I mean, this is going to sound really retarded, but say eight months ago, I never even knew what a podcast was. The reason I'm on podcast now is because a lady that I treated, who I resolved her pain very quickly, happens to have a background in media. uh, Mm -hmm. And and she said, you know, you should go on people's podcasts. That's a great way to get people to know you exist. They already have their listeners and you can do it that way. And I'm like, how how do you do that? She kind of gave me this idea of, of these particular apps that allow you to do it. And over the last eight months, I've probably been on 60 to 70 podcasts now. Congratulations. And, and you can see that uh, you see a script. Does it look like I'm reading something? That This is me. This is me. This is three decades of background. This is thousands of people of case study. This is real. And I believe... That there is not a single person on earth that have to should have to live with chronic pain. I simply do not believe it. Pain is an indication of a tissue in distress. Find the cause, resolve the tissue in distress. You will end the need to elicit pain. Everyone has to understand this is true. Don't buy into the magical line that's out there. And this is what everyone says. Pain is very complex. Pain is very complex. That's why no one's getting better. I want people to, I'll make this very clear. Two plus one equals three is very complex if you don't know math. (laughs) There's no question that's That's very complex. complex. If you know math, it's not that complex. Well, if you know how to identify the tissue industry that's eliciting your pain, it's not that complex. And I don't want people to think to yourself, oh, this guy's an egomaniac. I... Trust me, I have no idea why I was chosen for this. This wasn't, I didn't sign up for this. We <laughs> were <so laughs> graduated to the school. If you said, Where are going to be in 10 years? It was quite simply, I planned on having one or two facilities, getting married, and having a kid and living the rest of my life that way. I just kept going and going, and the inquisitive nature of who I am. And, and having these people in front of you and knowing that they're dependent on you to make their pain go away and give them their life back. It has just served me to never stop looking. And I'm three decades into this and I hate to say it, but I'm <laughs> passionate, probably more passionate today than I was 30 years ago, because I have all these tools behind me. So um, please believe that this is a justifiable and legitimate way to, Identify the cause of your pain, and if you're not sure, you can email me. I answer every call. I answer every email. Um, it's dr. Mitchell MitchellYas. dot com. I'm sure we can get that out there. You go to my website, livewithoutpains.com dot com, and and get the message, get the answer, and Jesus God, end your pain and get your life back.
0: It's all going to be included in the description below for everybody to check out. I highly recommend that you guys do so if you're. Um, going through uh, these struggles. You know, you mentioned um, you kind of have to be mental uh, to go against the grain. I, I consider it to have uh, strength and courage. So I thank you for that, to, for having the strength, the courage to, to push forward when you see that something is wrong, something is not understood properly, and that um, all your predecessors and future generations who are in the medical community – are just aren't having the same type of uh, courage to, uh, to educate and to say, no, you know what, that's wrong. That's yeah, incorrect. Kinda,
1: the, way, the way I've come to look at this is that I believe I've been given a gift and the gift was from a higher power to have the fortitude and the desire and the interest to do this. And every time I treat somebody and they end up pain free and fully functional in my heart, and in my mind, I'm always thinking to myself, thank you for that gift. And thank you for giving me the chance to share it with somebody. And I always feel that way. I I, I think I'm just a conduit and I'm just transferring this gift of knowledge and I will not stop. Uh, I, I'm i going to continue to do this until I die. And, and if I'm fortunate enough, someone or some people will see the value in it, want to learn it and and there'll be a legacy and it'll go on after me, but I can assure you everything I'm saying, I, I wrote, I did one post, which I was like? Hippocrates would be proud. And, and yeah. I truly believe he would be proud of me because I'm following exactly in what he said should be done to help people resolve their symptoms.
0: I mean, considering how long ago that, uh, that quote was said, I mean, it's uh, it's, it blows my mind at how much knowledge existed then how much the how much western society threw away because we're like nah that's that doesn't make sense to us you know we're going to do it this way and, and
1: that and so so everyone thinks technology is good technology could be good but it could be bad i'll i'll, I'll just kind of leave people with this understanding most people don't know this but george washington was killed by his doctors most people don't know this this is really true so george washington is on uh, Mount Vernon, and he goes to side to ride the fields and everything, and he comes back, he ends up with pneumonia. Now, at the time, the most advanced technology of the time said that you bleed somebody, and it was this like race like mechanism. That was the technology, and you would kind of, wherever they thought they should, they would bleed the person, which meant the blood came out and thought, was thought that the infection comes out with it. So they bled George Washington's neck and what it did was it created an inflammatory response in his neck and he ended up swelling his neck up and suffocated over about 24 hours. They killed him. And the Smithsonian Institute holds those tools. So do you think all technology is good? I would suggest in that particular case... It didn't
0: work out so well. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not for the first, not for the first president, you know, pretty horrible situation to be in. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, you know, you're, you're doing great work. I've checked out your YouTube channel. I'm going to link that down below too, for others to, uh, to take a look. Um, you're doing incredible work. I'm, I'm truly grateful to have, uh, to have met you. Um, if you're open to it, I'd love to have you on again in the future. We're going to go ahead and end today's podcast. Um, Thank you so much. Dr. Mitchell Yass, everybody. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Me too.